Hey everybody, what's going on? Mike here, welcome to the show. Hope you had an awesome weekend. We are going heavy on sports today, going heavy on Boston. One of my uh, really good friends and a former colleague, Jamison Coyle, is our guest on the show today. As our fourth guest ever, hopefully won't be our last. Uh, Jamie and I first met, worked together back in 2005 in the Alaska Baseball League. It's a summer league for college players. We were both in college ourselves, and we were yeah broadcast partners, play-by-play guys for the Matsu Miners. I think we we're the only two play-by-play guys uh, permanently in the league that summer. Uh, so it was a blast. We'd spend mornings playing basketball at the gym. Jamie would beat me pretty much every day. And then we would go, uh, yeah, fish, hang out, and then we'd call baseball at night. Awesome summer. And since then, Jamie has gone on to be the kind of prototypical uh, sports anchorman. Uh, He's gone all across the country on a national tour. We'll talk about that shortly in terms of him climbing up the markets. Where he is now is up in Boston working for Nesson. So if you're from the New England area and you ever watched Nesson, you've probably seen him in the last couple of years. Uh, He's a great guy, loves his sports, loves playing them, loves talking them, so I'm excited to have him on. We'll talk about what it's like replacing some of the more popular uh, anchors that have been there before him, the Jenny Dells, people like that. Uh, We'll talk about what it's like covering the Boston sports scene, because, I mean, I'm a New Yorker, I know people here love their teams, but people in Boston love, love their teams, for better or for worse, so uh, we'll talk to him about that. Also, what it was like uh, getting that journey to where he is now waiting tables five nights a week while keeping a full-time sports job when he first started out, that kind of stuff. So we'll chat to him about that and also what it's like having a, a newborn kid. He's got a son who's just a little over a year old and having the, the wife and the kid at home trying to keep this kind of job going as well. So very interesting stuff to talk about with Jamie. We'll get to that shortly and make sure to check him out uh, online as well. You can find him at Jamison Coyle. That's J-A-M-I-S-O-N-C-O-Y-L-E. Also later on, make sure to stick around after the interview as we talk about the NBA draft. That'll be my one thing, so we'll chat about that. So like I said, a lot of sports this week, but a lot of other fun stuff talking to Jamie as well. Uh, Without further ado, here he is. He's an anchor reporter with Nesson. He was the Alaska Baseball League 2005 co-play-by-play man of the year. Uh, Yours truly, I think, shared the award with him. And also the sweetest jump shot of any media member I've ever seen, Jamison Coyle. What's going on, buddy? (laughs) Oh, that is, I, that's not on the resume, but I'm certainly going to update it a few minutes with some of those things. The uh, the co-host of the year, we were the only two hosts of the year. I think we, that's why we won so by default, yeah. I, I think so, it was you, me, and the moose. <laughs> yeah, talk about color commentator. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so man, thanks so much for coming on. I know you're, you're real busy, you're just doing a lot of stuff, kind of a jack-of-all-trades up uh, up in Boston, so thanks for taking the time. I'm excited to talk to you. I think everyone will yeah. be excited to hear what you have to say, too. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. I've listened to the, a couple of the podcasts in the past uh, since you've been firing them up, and I'm honored to actually uh, have been asked by you, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, here we go. I guess uh, first question, when, what's it like? that Boston is obviously, it's one of those towns, I think Boston and Philadelphia, New York to an extent as well, but because New York has a bunch of, you know, multiple teams in the different sports, I think there are sort of a level below in terms of, let's say, fan passion uh, is the, the mm-hmm. nice way to put it, because, you know, everyone is behind the Sox, the C's, the B's, the Pats. What's, uh, what's it like being a, a sports anchor up there? You're from Nashville, so you're from New England. But what's it like being this person that, you know, this whole fan base, multiple ones of them who take their sports real seriously, uh, yeah. what's it like uh, when you're kind of the face giving them that? It certainly uh, it, it keeps you busy. Um, you know, it's been a good run for Boston sports over the last decade or so, but just week to week, it's such such an emotional roller coaster. It's it sometimes, it, you know, driving home, you just you turn off sports radio yourself just because you're, you're just drained. But uh, just in the past couple of days, it's, you know, you had the NBA draft the other night, and everybody was expecting the Celtics to do something major, and they didn't. And then the next night, everybody thinks the Bruins are going to do something awesome. They unload half their team. The Red Sox still stink right now, and football season can't get here soon enough. And when we're not playing football, we're dealing with scandals and deflated footballs and stuff. So it's always something to talk about, just not always positive to talk about right now. But, I mean, people wear their emotions on their sleeves, and, and it, it, is a, it is a crazy town to do sports in. Walk me through Deflategate, how it's been this offseason covering it, because, you know, seeing it from here, from the New York angle, it's just the New York Post making jokes about it on the back page. It's everyone saying, you know, the Pats got what they deserve. It's really just baiting, kind of like trolling 
the whole New England sports fan base. What's it actually been like in the in the eye of the storm having to go through all that these last few months? And from a media perspective, too, what's it like covering a story like that? Because you don't get something like that every year. Right, yeah. It's uh, Well, it's tough. It's one, I think the hardest part is to try to separate yourself uh, from your professional job from your personal opinion. You know, I obviously grew up being a Patriot fan and, and stuff like that, so... I don't want to admit that, yeah, maybe there's some wrongdoings with Brady and, and doctoring the footballs and whatnot, but then, you know, when you kind of look at all the facts and whatnot going through it on a weekly basis, it, it's it's hard not to ignore that stuff. Um, so covering it wise, it just, it's hurry up and wait. We get, we get some news on a Monday and then we wait three more weeks and there's no news. And then you just have to just fill the cycle. People, people love talking about football regardless of the, if there's even football to be played. So it's it's getting to the point where it's almost beating a dead horse until we get the next press conference or the next meeting in New York and stuff like that. So it's, uh, trust me, our analysts get so sick of coming in and talking about anything <laughs> other than football that these guys, every time they come in, they go, what are we talking about? Flight gate? And it's like, yep. And then they just, they look like they want to punch you in the face. They want to get back to breaking down X's and O's and stuff like that. So, I think once, you know, training camp actually starts and, and we get the ruling on this appeal, whatever's going to happen, we can just put that in the rear view and just get back to actually talking about sports. Because at the end of the day, that's why we got into this industry in the first place, was to talk about sports and not non-sports. And people, it's, yeah, and viewers, fans, I mean, everyone, they always complain about, and not just the flake it, but... You know, when it was Tim Tebow, you know, what was he doing? What was that? What was going on with that? A-Rod off the field. And everyone gets to a point where they start complaining, like, give us, you know, we don't want any more stories about this, but that's what people are still watching and talking about. And it's kind of like you're getting what you ask for, um, viewers-wise, because like you just said, you know, the guys coming in, they don't want to talk about this stuff and beat it dead, but that's what people keep watching and keep talking about. So it's kind of, how do you deal with that sort of... Uh, that catch-22 of of giving what maybe people are sick of, maybe what you guys are sick of covering too, but that what's still getting what's still getting you the numbers. Right. Um, well, it's kind of like news. You know, nobody wants – you turn on the news at night, and the saying is, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Trust me, I would rather have a half-hour news show of all, you know, bunnies and furry animals and just <laughs> make you smile and feel good. Unfortunately, that's not what – drives the ratings and at the end of the day ratings is what pays the bills and that's the only thing a business cares about so uh, situation we were talking about it was the other night and we had so much hockey news and, and so much basketball news and yet we still brought in an analyst to talk deflategate even though there was no new news on deflategate and it's just because the nfl is king regardless mm-hmm of what's happening on the field or off it. And even if it's in the off season, people want to talk about it. I mean, the NFL network is 24 seven. That's why they created the network is because people want it. They, they have to consume it as much as possibly, you know, humanly possible. So it's at the end of the day, yeah, you don't want to talk about it, but then you got to figure out what people want to talk about and personally you know sometimes you just get sick of talking about the play the football but <laughs> that's what moves the needle and you know if you don't have it in the show then the the company across the street is going to and and people are going to turn to that so it's yeah like you mentioned it's a catch-22 you know you're sick of it but the other station's going to have it so you have to do it because that's what people want to talk about and you don't want the other guys across the street doing that stuff you don't want to be the west man tooth in the anchorman brawl you want to be the ron burgundy yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good market. You know, I have been in some markets where there has been that West Man Tooth type confrontation. And I thought I was going to get a trident to the neck and stuff. But, you know, I think as people go up in markets and they mature, you know, everybody, everybody at the end of the day is in it for the same reasons. And, you know, we're all going to cover the same stuff and, and for the most part, get the same stuff. Um, so it's, it's a great market to work in. And uh, like I said, yeah, they're, they're going to have it. So, we better have it, otherwise our bosses are going to come knocking on our doors and ask why we didn't have it. I want to get back to sort of your journey because you mentioned it briefly there, and it's been you've kind of taken an interesting path to get to where you are, especially in today's day and age of how media works. But we'll get to that later. While we're still talking about Boston, you mentioned how NFL's king, and that's kind of the stuff you have to cover. Uh, 
am I wrong in saying the rankings of the teams that Bostonians or New Englanders care about? It's Pats, Sox, Celtics, Bruins. Is that kind of the hierarchy? Uh, I think it depends on who's winning at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because let's say it's, you know, let's say the Bruins are in the playoffs and um, they're doing really well and this city comes alive. Like all the all the hockey fans come out of the woodwork. And, you know, this, this city is very passionate about its hockey. It's just numbers-wise, it, it's, it's so much more niche than, let's say, football or, or the baseball fan or even Oops fan out there. So I, I think it def- definitely depends on um, the, the time of the year and, and who's doing well and, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, you're definitely right. Pa- uh, football is king, um, regardless. And then I would say Red Sox. And then Celts and Bruins. That's that's kind of how it goes. But there are a lot of bandwagoners that uh, that come out of the woodwork, depending on mm-hmm. who's doing well and whatnot. And uh, it, it certainly makes for a fun time to cover sports in this town. And I feel like hockey is that way in any city, like L.A. when the Kings do well, even here when the Rangers do well. And I'm probably a, the person, the proponent of this, that really makes it bad and unbearable for real hockey fans. I'm the kind of guy... I don't really watch hockey regular season. Then once playoff time comes around, that's when I tune in and I become all of a sudden the world's biggest Rangers fan. Um, and the guys who are watching all winter are like, you know, they hate guys like me. But like you say, hockey is like that one sport where people will jump on come April, come May, and it can kind of give a city that extra little boost, which I think, yeah, the Bruins could probably do that, you know, whenever they do make their runs. Yeah, and I think hockey fans are different in that, you know, they kind of welcome the bandwagoners to come yeah. out because – they want to showcase their sport. They want to grow the sport. Whereas, you know, football fans, if, you know, the Giants are doing well and then all of a sudden they make the Super Bowl and then you get the, the non-football fan that starts wearing their, their Eli Manning jerseys. They're, right. You know, they, they're like, you haven't been on the roller coaster ride the past couple of years. Get off of it right now. Whereas I think the hockey fan is like, come on, let me, let me show you what the sport's all about because mm-hmm. come playoff time, I think that is when the game is at its best. And I'll, I'll say it to anybody, I think playoff hockey is the best postseason sport there possibly is because those guys just absolutely ramp it up and, and put their bodies on the line. And and night more night after night than the NBA, which, I mean, it was great this year seeing how the NBA, they have their fixed TV schedule. So you can end up having, if you know two teams sweep, you know, a week, 10 days in between series. NHL, these guys are going right back out there, you know, 48 hours later. It's like, man, how did they do that? Um I mean, I'm in, I'm in awe of what they can do. Um, you're a hockey player growing up, so you can speak more to kind of the rigors of the sport. But, yeah, I think a, a lot of people agree with you. They respect sort of the Stanley Cup playoffs above any of the others. Yeah, and I think one of the, the – I don't want to say coolest because it's kind of gruesome at times, but, yeah, I think one of the, one of the neat things about uh, the intricacies of hockey is that after the season ends, you find out they disclose all the injuries that these guys have had and – I remember it was two years ago, Patrice Bergeron for the Bruins. We found out that he was playing with, you know, broken ribs, a punctured lung. Um, <laughs> you know, the guy could barely bleed, uh, breathe. And, and right after the final game, he's taken to the hospital and spent, you know, overnight there on, you know, on all kinds of machines and testing and stuff. And being in the in the dressing room the night before, you would have no idea that that this guy was dealing with that stuff because hockey players they just. They aren't ones to, you know, point the finger finger at themselves and, and you know, woe is me and stuff like that. It's, it's I think, a, a very unique um, in that nature, you know, hockey specifically. And that's what I think people kind of rally around it. So now for you, let's pretend we got like a, a graph here. We, we drew a line down the middle of a piece of paper. And on the left mm-hmm. is, is you. And on the right is kind of Nesson at large, the media at large in New England. Because you, you grew up as a hockey player. You still play kind of recreationally. I see your posts sometimes, Instagram, Facebook. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Old, the men's league, man. And now I have to stretch a lot more than uh, I ever had to. Yeah, I, I learned that the hard man, way. A couple years ago, I was on a shoot when I was still working for Guinness World Records. We were on a TV shoot, and we were just kind of buying time. And the one host of the show, he was maybe five years older than us. And so he was asking me how old I was. I was like, oh, at the time, I was 27, 28. And he said, man, you know, you're, you're almost 30. My one piece of advice for you, and you're not even asking for it, stretch more and I was like wow but yeah I mean I go to the gym I mean hockey's a little bit different than my curls and stuff but yeah you got to get the hamstrings going you got to if not you're paying for it the next day oh absolutely I think it was a couple years ago and like I said I learned the lesson the hard way it was a men's slow pitch softball game 
And I, uh, I was asked to kind of fill in one night and, and I showed up and very first at bat, I didn't stretch or anything like that. Very first at bat. Um, I think I had another to third base, you know, so some things never change <laughs> and, uh, I'm trying to get out of the box and all of a sudden I like my right leg. I just like felt like I got shot and, uh, yeah, ended up carrying my hamstring and, uh, and you could tore barely it, you walk. tore it at so- slow pitch yeah, softball, slight, slight tear in uh in slow pitch softball Jeez. and, um, out of commission for, you know, doing any kind of street hockey or anything like that, you know, which we do play at Nesson street hockey. It's one of the cooler things that we do here. Nice. Um, uh, but yeah, doing anything like that for months at a time. And it was just, it was kind of embarrassing walking into work the next day and everybody was like, Oh, what happened? I was like, Oh, yeah, I tore my hamstring playing slow pitch softball. So Jeez. I hit that age. And then ever since I, I make sure I stretch, that's the most important thing I do. That's, that's a big advice to anyone listening <laughs> under the age of 30 from, uh, <laughs> from both Jamie and myself. Um, yep. so back to the original question, back on track. Um, so that, like, that's your, your background. Obviously you play hockey, you know, forever. If you were to pick the, the title runs that you would love to cover the most personally, like what would be the most fun for you versus what would the city at large kind of enjoy? Um, like where were the Bruin Stanley cup run? Were you there already when they, when they had the last cup? I got here right after they won the cup in uh, 2011. Um, so, so they won it in June, and then I started working in October. So nice timing, I just bud. missed it, but I got here for you know the excitement of the upcoming season. So I kind of got the back end of that. Um, but yeah, I missed I missed out on the cup. Gotcha. So you were at the New Year's party from like 12:30 to 1:30, as opposed to the the ball drop. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so if you get to pick, I guess my question is, if you got to pick your ideal, you know, month or two window, would it be a Bruins Cup run, a Pat Super Bowl, a Sox World Series? Some of these you've seen, you've seen those two, a Celtics title. What do you think would be the most fun for you personally to cover that people may think may be uh, different from what the typical Boston sports fan might want to jump on the ride for? I think my list would be, um, you know, Stanley Cup for the Leafs. And then it would have to be, I would have said Red Sox uh, World Series, but I've already covered that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it would be Super Bowl, and then it would be uh, NBA Championship. But I think for the average viewer in New England, it would be Super Bowl, Red Sox World Series, NBA Championship, and then a Stanley Cup. But I think it's it's so skewed nowadays, and I don't want to sound arrogant, but just <laughs> given the success that we've had in this town, it's you know we've seen three Red Sox World Series now. And had you asked that question, you know, fifteen years ago, then I think Red Sox would have ultimately yeah, been at the top one, of far and away. Yeah. Exactly. And now, given that the Patriots are coming off a of Super Bowl. I think that slides down the list again. Whereas before this past season, that was already at the top given the you know amount of time between championships Does that so it's w- just it's hard to explain it's tough no it makes sense because i mean when you, when you when you keep winning that often it's like all right well let's have uh it's like when you have five exotic sports cars like oh let's drive the maserati today we right. drove the lamborghini right. yesterday whatever right so i think now celtics that's kind of on everybody's wish list if they could pick and choose if there was one sport to win a title next year i think you know the diehard boston sports fan um, that follows all four would want the Celtics. And mm-hmm. of course, that's, you know, I think that one's going to take the longest. Right, least likely. You know? uh, does that exactly. worry you at all that, you know, they've had this amazing window since, I guess, 2001, the whole town, that maybe once that window closes and it's just going to be like a down cycle forever? Or do you think now the, the teams and the ownership are too sophisticatedly run that it's, you know, to have that kind of run where, you know, in the 90s, you know, Boston sports was kind of a, a wasteland there for a bit. Are you worried that can happen right. again, or you think that those days are gone for good? Yeah, I think those days are gone. Just given the ownership um, and and the fan base, I don't think would stand for it anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think there there would ever be an 86-year drought between championships in any sport in this town because it, the fans would just they would burn the town down. Could you imagine Twitter point. after like the Buckner night no. or anything like no. that? I mean, geez. no, the internet would have imploded. It just, it, it can't happen anymore given their resources, given the amount of money that they're willing to spend. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you can go out and buy a championship. Um, you know, it doesn't always work out, but you can certainly put yourself in, um, 
a great situation year in and year out if you're continuing to invest in that team and, and going out and getting the top free agents and whatnot. So I don't, I don't, I don't ever worry about it being that um, drastic between championships. Mm-hmm. You know, I, people consider us going through a drought now and just coming off the Super Bowl, but the Red Sox stink, the Bruins aren't doing anything, and the Celtics are in a complete rebuild. And we've got, what, 75 days until the NFL season, so people are already you know, considering this a drought between championships. Yeah, it's, it's dark ages all of a sudden, and it's been six months <laughs> since that trophy exactly. came back to town. Exactly. It's what's great about this town, the passion. It's also what's horrible horrible about this town is that there is there's no perspective on anything right do you ever get like walking down the street do you ever have people coming up to you like oh you're a bum you can't you can't cover anything for for your life you're like we, we miss some old anchor whoever you know jenny dell whoever we used to be there do you get that at all from those kind of fans or is that something where you're not really dealing with it no not too much um nothing is kind of a revolving door for talent so to speak there's not you know there there are there there are some dinosaurs um, at Nesson, and I mean that in the best possible way. Guys are <laughs> really stuck for you know a, a long time, but you know for the most part, it's kind of three or four year stints, and then people kind of want to further their career and, and go do different things and, and whatnot. So I don't really run into the situation where it's oh I miss this person. I do get the the Jenny Dell stuff a lot, and uh, <laughs> you know, and it's not just Jenny Dell; it's Jamie Erdahl and and any other you know female we have because I mean, you're, you know, the guys can get ruthless. Sometimes. You're good looking. You're good looking, Jamie, but you're not that good looking. No, God, no, not even close to that category. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, but I think they they obviously do it in a joking way. Right. So so no, it's it, it, no. I think as long as you you know what you're talking about, you're passionate about what you're talking about, and and they can relate to you being kind of a Boston sports personality and a Boston sports fan, then uh, I don't think they have any issues with you being on their television sets. And you come with that street cred built in of having grown up in the area, which helps as opposed to somebody like if I were to show up after a lifetime of, you know, being a New York sports fan, I'm sure that puts you at a kind of a competitive advantage. Yeah. If I were you, you know, my advice would be don't, don't admit that. Uh, <laughs> right. <to the> viewers, <laughs> First night on they, air. Uh, hey guys, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And second day you'd be packing your uh, right. apartment up and you'd be heading back to New York. <laughs> but uh, no, as long, I mean, the only thing people care about here, just get the names right. Because yeah. There's no worse way to expose yourself than to screw up sports names. That's the easiest way to, to prove that you have no clue what you're talking about in the Boston sports landscape mm-hmm. or sports in general. So that's that's the best piece of advice, and I've unfortunately seen you know people screw up names, and you instantly lose your credibility, especially you know with the Boston sports fan, because those are the names they hear day in and day out, and if you're not saying them right, then then there's no way they're going to trust you. So speaking of, I mean, you talk about the names, and because you say, I mean, Boston sports tends to have more, I think, iconography of certain individuals. You think about. Larry, and you think about Ted Williams and Bobby Orr, and even now today, Tom Brady, David Ortiz, uh, Gronk. Even what's it like uh, dealing in a, in running in the same circles professionally with these people? Because I'm assuming most people across the country think, oh, working in the Boston media market, uh, press conferences with Rob Gronkowski must be insane, or setting up you know phoners with Big Poppy must be a blast. True? False? What's the goods? Um, true. You know, I think. I still see myself as a, as a sports fan, you know, first and foremost. And I still show up to work thinking like, oh, I'm getting to do that today. That's awesome from, you know, being the little kid that grew up in New Hampshire, just watching these teams that I idolized and stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it is your job and you do it on a weekly basis. So I, I told somebody a couple of weeks ago, I, I had uh, a one-on-one interview with, um, the Red Sox general manager, Ben Sherrington. And then two nights later, I had another one-on-one interview with the Bruins general manager, Don Sweeney. And I, I looked at my photographer and I said, if you had told me this like five years ago, before I got to Boston, I would have, you know, I would have soiled my undies. <laughs> and now it was just, it, I, it was another day on the schedule, like looking at the schedule. I was like, Oh, okay. I've got the Bruins GM tomorrow. and stuff. So it's, I try to still take myself out of my daily routine and step back and say, Hey, you're still doing such cool stuff. And, and this is the reason 
you know, why you got into this industry. It's, you're not sitting in your tube from nine to five. You're, you're going out and you're, you're doing the stuff that, you know, people think is so cool when they watch TV. Oh, I wish I could do that. Well, yep. I get to do that on a daily basis. And that's why every day I'm just, I'm very thankful for that. I, you know, I stayed with the path I did. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but run me through, you know, you mentioned the nine to five and the cubicle thing. That's not the lifestyle you live professionally. What is the day, nope. the week in the life of, of an anchor at one of the more well-known and, and better run and big time regional sports networks? I think it's, it's different every day, every week. Um, and, and I think that's why I like it. It keeps, keeps you on your toes and, and you're always doing something different. So uh, just an average week for me is I usually anchor, um, you know, two to three nights a week and then I'll report two to three days a week. Um, and it kind of depends on the season. So during uh, Patriot season, I was pretty much our Patriots reporter. So I'd be down at Gillette Stadium, you know, a couple of days a week for practices. And then I'd anchor Saturday nights in studio. And then, of course, Sundays I would be um, either at Gillette or on the road, wherever the team was. Um, but then, like right now during, you know, the downtime, and the Red Sox just playing, I'm mostly, I'll anchor two to three nights a week in studio. And then the other days, you know, reporting shifts, we're kind of, you know, going to OTAs for Patriots or whatever else is on the docket. I think I'm going to a charity golf tournament um, tomorrow. But uh, yeah, so if it's a reporting day, you know, you're, it depends whatever time the event is going on. It can be as early as, you know, 9 a.m. Um, or if I'm anchoring, I'll show up at like four o'clock and then I'll, I'll anchor Ness and sports today, which is at 10 o'clock or after a Red Sox game. And then we have a morning show that we tape, um, that night as well. That'll run all next day. So it just, it just kind of depends, you know, some days are, are a lot busier than others. And, and some days you you really don't have much to do. So it, it keeps you on your toes and the weeks fly by. And, and I think that's another big reason why I, I like this job in this industry is, that no, no two days are, are really ever the same. Yeah, which a lot of people say kind of cliche about their jobs, but it is the same. It's just, you know, the fill in the blanks are different every day. But I think for you, yeah. actually, it, you mean it. Right. No, definitely. Um, like today, I'm, I'm in here. I'm anchoring. I'll be anchoring our, our nightly news show at 10 o'clock. And then, uh, and then we'll take the morning show. So I came in. I've been, you know, writing scripts for the past couple of hours and just, going over some highlights and, and stuff like that. And then tomorrow, like I said, I'm going to this charity golf tournament and I believe we're getting Jason Veritek and Pedro Martinez one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and, and who, who else, you know, I don't know who else we're going to get because there's all kinds of celebrities showing up to this thing and, and you just kind of go in with what you think you're going to do. And, and half the time you come out and you have no idea what, what you're going to get. And so I'll do a live shot tomorrow for the five thirty show. And then, I'll take something, um, some sort of feature for, for the nightly show after that. So like I said, yeah, no two days are really ever the same. You've got a, a one-year-old boy at home. How important is an understanding and uh, flexible wife to uh, this kind of professional lifestyle? Oh, it's, it is everything. And, you know, I, I don't tell her enough um, how good she is to me and my son or how thankful I am to have somebody um, – so flexible with, with my job, but, uh, I kind of saw that before we even had our son, you know, I, I, I met her when I was working in Indiana and I dragged her to Kansas and then from Kansas to Boston. So I, I knew that if she stuck with me through, you know, some of those stops on my national tour that, that I was going to be in good shape. But, uh, in, in this industry, especially, you know, having a, <laughs> having a child, you know, I get off work. I won't get home some nights until 1 a.m. or whatnot, and then the little guy's popping up at the crack of dawn, ready to ready to play and whatnot at yeah, five. He's like, "Dad, the day so, starts now." Exactly, exactly. So there, there were some mornings where you know I, I'd get up when she went to work and whatnot, and, and I was just exhausted, and it, you know it, it affected me um, at my job. I'd be, you know, I'd be drinking like eight coffees during the day and stuff. <laughs> but I mean. She is. She's been phenomenal. She gets up with him every morning and, and allows me to get some some shut eye. And then you know she's just so flexible because there's half the time I'm not home or half the time I'm on the road and whatnot. She she doesn't complain at all. So definitely you need uh, you need your better half uh, to be understanding of the industry and supportive of the industry that you work in uh, to make it work if you're going to work in TV and have a kid.
<laughs> well, now my millions and millions of listeners now know how much you appreciate her. So this is her official her official thank you from you. See, and now she has to listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> Good. Get my subscription numbers up. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned some of the places, your national tour. This is one of the things I love talking about people on the show about is kind of the journey they've had so far. Um, mm-hmm. So you and I, I mean, this was still in college, Alaska, 2005. You graduated then the next year, right, 06? Yep, right after. All right. And then you headed to, well, were you in Chattanooga for a bit to start? Where was the first stop? Chattanooga was the major city I went to for my social life. Uh, I actually started in Dalton, Georgia, which is about 20 minutes south of Chattanooga. All right, that's where I'm um, getting confused. Yeah, all right, very, so just take us very, through kind of the itinerary or the, the pit stops, I guess, as, you, as you've made it to where yeah. you are. Yeah, so first job was down in uh, Dalton, Georgia, and, uh, you know, they called me, and it wasn't a, a glamorous offer by any means. There was no insurance. There was no benefits, nothing like that. It was essentially, hey, here's your first job in television. Take it or leave it. And, you know, I packed up the car and drove down to Georgia, and I, I stayed there for six months. And I actually, I wanted to get into sports, but I was offered the news position there, a news reporter position. So I, I took it, and uh, after three months, I moved into a, a sports role after somebody left the sports department. And so, like I said, I was there for about six months, and then I finally got a call from a television station in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, I had no idea where it was. I, I couldn't even <laughs> pronounce it the first time. The news director called me, and she asked if I had any questions, and I said, how do you pronounce the city? <laughs> how do you said, say where I'm going to be working? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I thought it was Terre Haute, and she was like, nope, you've got to get that right if you're going to come here. Right, yeah, so you're talking about I, um, Boston people getting mad about name oh, mispronunciations. You can't start with the oh, city getting it wrong. No, absolutely. Midwesterners are, are so, so nice, but they kind of turn unruly once you get their hometown wrong. Yeah, so yeah. I, had to, I had to nail that down. But And the only reason I went to Terre Haute was because they were offering me health insurance uh, for my job. So, <laughs> And it turned out to be the, the best move I made. I, I went there, and... Uh, Eventually became the sports director and stayed two and a half years. And uh, like I said, I met my wife there, my future wife. And then from there, um, kind of a brief stop out of the industry doing uh, public relations for six months. And because um, I thought the grass was greener on the other side. It always, it it always is. I turn, it turned out that it was the worst and best decision I, I could have made for my career. Um and then got back into the industry and went to Wichita, Kansas, and stayed there for a year and a half. And then got the call um, that I was hoping for from Neston in Boston. And then I've been here for almost four years now. So, so talk about continues. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Next stop, journey unknown. Um, yeah, talk, exactly. Talk about the. I mean, that process. A lot of people. It's kind of well known the sort of ladder you have to climb in the TV business in terms of starting out at that low market, moving up every couple of years, finally making it to a big city. But what what does that entail? Because you say you know you got the call from Nesson, but it's not as easy as just you do your job every day and then all of a sudden one day some talent scout calls you. Talk about what it's like to actually climb that ladder. What that means from someone in your shoes actually making it happen. So I think the smaller markets you definitely. You know, you you grind it out. There's there's nothing glamorous. The pay is horrendous. Uh, my first job in Georgia, I waited tables five nights a week just just to make you know ends meet, paying the the car payment and, and paying the apartment and stuff like that. But you know, I knew this was something that I wanted to do and I wanted to stick it out. Um, so you as you go on, you kind of make what's called a resume tape. And for for television people, it's the equivalent of the resume on paper, but it's your your on-air work, a little compilation, you know, 10 minutes or so of some of the best stuff that you've, you've done, um, on TV. And then you, you send that to, uh, news directors in bigger markets, uh, just hoping that they'll keep your tape, um, you know, up longer than 10 seconds before (laughs) throwing it in the trash pile, because honestly, that is how it works. They, they look and within the first 10 seconds, they either throw you in the keep pile or throw you in the trash pile. And then you never hear from them again. But um, so for some of those smaller market jobs, you just, you know, kind of blast out as many resume tapes as you possibly can to market that you'd be interested in moving to or furthering your career in a bigger city and whatnot. And just kind of hope that you, you get a call back. And then as you go higher in markets, um, you, you do yourself a favor and you get an agent. And then those guys are the ones that kind of do the, the headhunting searches for you. And they find out about the jobs at the major networks 
that they never post or anything like that mm-hmm. because the regional networks and the national networks want people that they know they don't have to sift through. They'll get a pile of tapes from an agent and, and know that all of these people are qualified and then pick from the best people that they want. Whereas, you know, if they post it publicly, then they're going to get anybody and everybody saying, Oh, my I can do that. I can cover Vinny the blue. And my cousin Tom. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uncle Vinny wants to be the blue and sideline reporter and, you know, he'll submit his, home footage from Christmas of 2004 and you know so he got so drunk that Christmas <laughs> yeah, exactly so so yeah you, you hire an agent and um and they hopefully get you the, the job that pays well enough that you can pay the agent and uh and that you're happy with you know furthering your career um settling into that kind of role do you think your path still works today to kind of start at a lower market and move your way up with the way everything's gone digital? I mean, I see, you know, ESPN hires people that are just YouTube personalities to now do sports center features and stuff like that. Do you think that landscape is changing or that your way is still kind of viable for anybody maybe five, 10 years younger than us? The landscape's definitely changing, but I think the people who do it the right way um, and kind of grind it out the smaller, smaller markets and work their way up, I think their careers last a little bit longer and, and I think they're ready to hit the ground running in the major markets more so than somebody who may be fresh out of college and they're just given a shot um, just because they don't, they haven't cut their teeth in those smaller markets. They haven't made those mistakes in the smaller markets um, and, and work their way up. And I see it, I see it all the time um, in this market. There's people that have, you know, done it quote unquote the right way and just, you know, worked in those podunk towns and, and, and covered high school football games and, and shot their own footage and, and edited their own highlights and, and then delivered the, the highlights on air as opposed to, you know, maybe a pretty face just out of college that, uh, you know, is hired for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, I, I see the people that um, have put in their time, uh, you know, I, I think it usually works out well for them and they certainly appreciate the others who have who have gone that same same route so what was there ever a moment when you thought man i i think i made the wrong decision whether it was like a late night when you were waiting tables and you're like man did i really screw this up uh like what was kind of i guess the the dark ages for you the down point before you finally realized you know what i'm glad i'm on this path this is what i got to do it was the waiting tables. It was because I had a couple of friends um, that we we had the broadcast journalism major as well as an economics degree coming out of Syracuse, and you know I did the TV thing, and some of my friends did the economics thing, working on Wall Street, and you know they were able to to fly to Vegas to meet for a vacation and whatnot, and 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 meet up with all the college buddies, whereas I didn't have the money to do that because I was in television and I was waiting tables and stuff. And missing out on some of those some of those moments with friends, or not being able to being able to come home every holiday because I had to work and whatnot. I, I definitely questioned, you know, the industry I had chosen. Um, I was wondering if I made the right decision to go into television. And and another situation was I didn't I didn't think that I wanted to do sports anymore because I wanted to enjoy sports as a fan and not as a sportscaster because I would find myself, you know, in Indiana, not being able to watch the Bruins or the Red Sox or anything like that unless they want Sunday night baseball. So actually after my Indiana, uh, my job in Terre Haute, I, I didn't renew my contract there and I got out and took a PR job back in Massachusetts, just thinking that, you know, this is going to be awesome. I got all my nights off. I can watch as many Sox games as I want. I can watch Patriots on Sunday and don't don't have to be somewhere else and stuff like that. And I, I ended up hating it because I hated the job. Yeah. I hated getting up, you know, early and sitting in traffic and then working a job that I didn't really like. I did, I, I'm not a cubicle guy. I actually used to spend the last hour of my day just rearranging my desk because I had <laughs> nothing to do and, and go home and, I thought I'd be excited to sit down and watch a game or, or go to a game. And, and it ended up not being enjoyable at all because I was so worried about having to go to work the next day and just dreading how I was going to kill the next eight hours of my life. So um, it was the worst situation. It turned out to be the best situation because it, it rejuvenated uh, my passion 
for being in the industry that I went to school for. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, I never, ever complain anymore about working weekends or holidays or anything like that, because I know that this is the only industry for me um, currently. And that, you know, I, yeah, I could be enjoying the 4th of July next weekend, but I could also be dreading going back to work on Monday in an industry that I don't want to be in. Right. And making that that sacrifice to do something you love, I think a lot of people forego that. They'd rather have the stability and the comfort and the predictability. But yeah, 20 years later, you kind of look back and you say you hated the whole 20 years. So good on you, man. Right. What's, Thank you. Um, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, so I won't keep you too much longer. You got uh, more... I'm sure uh, award-winning scripts to write, uh, but what's looking looking ahead? You know, we talked about where you've come from. Where do you think you're going? Where Where would you like to be five, ten years from now? What's What's that looking like in the crystal ball? My uh, My ultimate goal, and, and you know, I've really kind of figured this out over the last couple of years working here and, and doing all four kind of major sports, is that I I want to I want a career in hockey full time. I think you know I get to do a handful of you know Bruins filling stuff. Um, here at Nesson, and, and I host the, the college hockey product um, when, when college hockey season's in swing. And, uh, you know, I want, I want to bump that up to the pro game and, and work professionally um, at, the, at the professional hockey level. So I think hopefully that's next on the docket um, sooner rather than later <laughs> because, as we know, you know, television is a uh, – you have a shelf life, and uh, before the hair starts falling out and the wrinkles start forming, so yeah. HD, hopefully HD I can man, it's a killer. Um, brutal, it is brutal. So, uh, so I, I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal. But just, just working in a place that you know appreciates what you bring to the table, um, and, and and a good fit fit for the family. You know, I think I've matured um, over the last year having my son, and that you know there are a lot more important things in life than, than just, you know, making money and stuff like that. It's, it's making it a good situation for, for everybody involved. So. Right. Last thing for you, 10 seconds of advice you get to give to somebody that wants to be the next you or be in your shoes. What is it? Uh, prepare weight tables five nights a week, but never settle because if you want it bad enough, you can do it. There you go. Boom. Jamie Coyle. Um, awesome, man. Tell the people where they can find you on social media, where they can watch you online, where they can find you for more of your day job. Uh, the Twitter machine is at Jameson Coyle. Uh, love to get those follower numbers up. And then, of course, Nesson.com. Uh, post a lot of our clips and, and stuff on the web. And then I think Nesson is nationally now. So if you want to call up your cable service provider and, and Subscribe to Nesson. I'm, I'm sure my bosses would certainly appreciate that, although I don't think I'd see any significant <laughs> pay increase uh, yeah, in my Call them up pay. and say, we, we want our coil, and yeah, you won't yeah. get any of that kickback, but it'll be nice. No, never does, but that's <laughs> how it works. Awesome, man. Uh, well, actually, stay on the line for me after I say bye here because I had somebody that wanted to say hi to you off uh, off mic. But I'm looking at our old Matsu Miners baseball card here from 2005, your face <laughs> and mine. It's here in my bedroom, and how far uh, we've come, man, 10 years later. I think I'm wearing a puka shell necklace. You oh, are. Like, it's really it's bad. It's really embarrassing. embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I regret that day. Uh, we, we took that picture. I had just come off my 13-hour flight or two flights from New York, so I'm not looking much better either. So it was <laughs> oh, rough. Oh, man. Awesome times, though. I wouldn't trade that for the world. That was uh, tough. Awesome summer. That, that'll be the next time we have you on the show is just all the, the Alaska hour and all our stories from that. And I think we can fill that very easily. Book it. All right, man. Thank you very much for stopping by. We'll be sure to keep up with you online, man. Best of luck. All right. Sounds great. You keep up the good work. All right. Take it easy, brother. All right. So that was Jameson Coyle. Thank you very much to Jamie for jumping on the call again. Uh, now we'll quickly go to my one thing this week, which is the NBA draft. But it's not just my one thing. Uh, I'm going the Bill Simmons model here and bringing on some of my uh, entertaining friends, I guess. And uh, this time it's going to be Adam Wilson. A buddy I've known since I was 12 years old, so a really long time. Uh, one of the biggest and most knowledgeable sports and Knicks fans I know, so I want to give him a call and see what he thinks about the Knicks draft this past week. Kristaps uh, Porzingis, Jerry and Grant, and all the other moves the Knicks made. So uh, let's talk to Adam Wilson. Dubs, what's going on? How are you, Mike? I'm pretty good. Welcome to the show. Uh, we've got some friends of ours that are going to be really pissed that you got on the show before they did. <laughs> I'm very uh, excited about it. 
But I brought you on because I want to talk Knicks. Uh, NBA draft last week. Um, in the little intro that I did for you, I mentioned how you're probably the smartest sports fan I know. Uh, I don't know how you keep up with everything, you know, box scores and highlights and all that. But I had to call you. We talked a little bit in person yesterday. We actually got to hang out, which was great. About the Knicks. I want to talk about the Knicks draft. You're about as qualified a fan as I know. What's the grade, man? Chris Dobbs, Jerry and Grant, uh, Hernan Gomez. What do you think? Uh, the Chris Dobbs were in this move. Um, you know, they were really put in a tough spot picking fourth overall. Uh, I don't mind the pick. I think it's a, a project pick, but he has the potential. Everyone, from what I've heard and read, everyone says that he has the highest ceiling in the draft, so he might be good in two to three years. Uh, it doesn't really fix anything, but uh, I think the biggest issue he's going to have is uh, coming to New York. Everyone, uh, they were so bad last year, they're expecting something big in the draft this year, and by drafting a guy that might be two to three years away, uh, I mean, he might get booed out of the building the first minute he walks in. Um, that's going to be the problem for him. I just don't know if he's mentally tough enough to, well, he's 19. Uh, no one, no one is, yeah, but you're taking a and, chance. Uh, if you're comparing him to the next Dirk, I mean, that's pretty uh, <laughs> pretty big shoes to fill, and I, I just don't see a lot of European players uh, becoming superstars in the league and being picked fourth overall. Uh, that's pretty much what a fan is going to expect. But that's not even my issue with the Knicks. It's pretty much those last three games of the season, they won two of the three games, and they wouldn't even be in this position if they had just lost. So as a Knicks fan, it's almost like we can't even win when we're trying to tank. So <laughs> I think that's the biggest issue I have. We were at we were at a friend's birthday party yesterday, and there were a couple other Knicks fans that were there, um, and they were they were all pretty much just trashing the pick. I we, you and I were texting the night of the draft. You weren't you weren't in love with the Porzingis thing. I think it's the way to go. This team is a trash fire. Um, Carmelo, we're not going to win a title with him while he's here. Uh, I think you might as well swing for the guy at the four spot that has the highest ceiling. It's the biggest risk. But you got to hope that you know once Carmelo's gone, this kid can take over. So I was all for it because you got to take home run swings if you're the Knicks. Um, what was your first thought when you first saw it on the screen when they announced it? And has it changed? Has you have you gotten to your current place now? Are you in a better place now with that pick, or worse, or kind of the same? Or has it changed for you since since last Thursday night? Uh, the initial reaction was just uh, pure disappointment. <laughs> what, but, the, uh, what the what the hell? <laughs> after. After thinking about it, though, if he does have a high ceiling and he, you know, the guy's almost 7'2", uh, a lot of people are saying he's the best shooter in the draft aside from Devin Booker. Um, but Phil Jackson, when he was interviewed after the draft, was saying that uh, he thought that he had the highest uh, intestinal fortitude to, to make it in New York and <laughs> desire to be a great player. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to second-guess what Phil Jackson is saying. Uh you know, he was brought to New York to, to do a job to bring the franchise back, and, you know, he did a good job clearing space out to free up some cash space. So we'll see what he does in free agency and uh, see what Porzingis has. What about uh, Jerry and Grant? I'm a big fan of the pickup. Um, if they're going to keep doing the triangle, I guess you don't need a point guard that much, but kid's good, man. Yeah, I actually thought that Jerry and Grant was a great move, and uh, I think Tim Hardaway is a good player, but I think it's a good idea Right now, all the Knicks players, they just have a losing mentality. There's a culture of losing on the roster right now. And pretty much Shumpert and, and J.R. Smith, they just had a losing mentality. And obviously they got shipped off to Cleveland, And but if you're playing with LeBron, you're going to perform either way. But I think getting rid of Hardaway for Grant was a, is a pretty good move. And uh, I think Grant, he's got good family ties. His father played, and then his uncle was Horace Grant, so he definitely knows about being in the league and I think that was actually a really good pickup. Who's, uh, so, I mean, is that what you're hoping for, is just free agency that they just cash in once that cap goes up and, and next year these guys come off the books? Who are you, who do you think could realistically come to New York? I don't think Durant's coming, um, anybody like that. Who, who are you hoping for is the, the starting five in 2017? 2017, I mean, I would love to get Russell Westbrook in here. Mm. Uh, I I, that, I could, that I could see happening. Uh, I originally thought Westbrook was going to go to L.A., but now with them drafting D'Angelo Russell this year, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't see a guy like Kevin Love coming here. No. The guy that I've heard the most is uh, they're talking about Andre, actually Greg Monroe, that is from the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would be a solid pickup uh, for this season, but 
I don't know if he's like the type of franchise guy that you want. Um, so I think Westbrook would be their best option to try and fix this. But uh, if they're going to go big and they go uh, that direction, uh, I don't think Marcus Hall is going to come here. No. Uh, it's it's really thin right now. I mean, with, with the cap going up about, what's it going to go up, like $28, 30000000 million? Yeah, it's going to blow up. And they're going to they're gonna have a ton of space. But uh, right now, I, I would say probably their best bet is uh, Monroe for right now. But they, right. I think they need to start uh, – it's just a losing culture right now, and I think they need to start winning some games next year and showing some type of promise. And I don't know a lot of guys that are going to be wanting to play with Carmelo who still wants to be the man. They just need a nice complimentary piece. But, uh, like a Marcus Sol would be perfect. But uh, I don't see him coming to New York. No, that's not going to happen. Um, all right, so give me, we'll wrap up here because uh, I don't want to keep you too long. I just want to get some quick input from you. But what's, give me the, the Wilson grade, the draft grade for the Knicks. Oh, that's really to be determined. As a fan, I would say, I would give it a B, B minus, because they didn't get a guy that's going to impact them right away, but um, he could be a superstar. You don't know. And to be drafted with all the scouting technology and all, all the scouts, uh, to be drafted fourth overall, like you've got to be able to play. And he was picked above some some great players, and Willie Cauley Stein, Justin Winslow, is a great player. So for him to go above those guys, I think uh, he's got to be pretty good. And I hope it's just not another Bargnani deal, but uh, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe this guy's the real deal. So I'll be rooting for him, and hopefully the fans just give him a chance and let him grow. Give him one to two, give him two years before uh, they start making the determination. Because I don't think he's going to do too much next year. He's probably going to get beat up on the defensive end, but I think he'll be fine offensively. But I uh, hope Jackson toughens him up, and uh, he's really the real deal. Well, it's better than the one draft we watched live together almost 10 years ago, the Ronaldo Bachman pick. Uh, so at least it's something, I think. Uh, it could be another Frederick Weiss, Ronaldo Bachman. The best thing about Bachman was he wasn't even in the media guys. <laughs> yeah. out for the top uh Top 80 players in the draft, he wasn't in there, and they took him in the first round. And obviously that one didn't work out too well. So hopefully Jackson can uh, turn this thing around. No oh, man. The joys of being a Knicks fan. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for jumping on the phone with me. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, we'll see how this thing goes. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. All right. And that's going to wrap it up for us as well. So thanks, everyone, for listening this week. We'll uh, catch you again next week, and I'll hopefully do better next time. Take it easy.